0: The first morning that I set out on St. Cuthbert's Way, a 60-mile pilgrimage, I almost certainly still had COVID. I didn't know for sure because none of the Edinburgh stores I'd sent a friend to had any tests left. And in a way it didn't matter because my Airbnb rental was up and the host had no flexibility. I had to leave whether I was positive or not. So I masked up and worried about being a disease vector. I boarded a bus that I was grateful to find mostly empty. Somebody had opened a window on the bus, more gratitude, and we rolled up into the hills toward the border of Scotland. The sky was perfect, and I began to feel, if not well, then at least better. (laughs) Because right up until that moment, I had been having extremely mixed feelings about my sabbatical which is not a thing to admit, it's not a thing to admit in general, and it is not a thing to admit on your first sermon back at a church that helped make possible three glorious and generous months off, preached to people who blessed me on my way, who more than held down the fort, people who worked on the building and gave to a pledge campaign that as of this morning stands at over $113,000, people who planned and committed to a mission trip and had to take their own vacation time to do so, Unlike this privileged so and so, riding through a pastoral landscape on God's dime, finally breathing a little easier. I had mixed feelings about a sabbatical that, in the days just before I left, Vince told me he was nearly giddy that I got to take. Was my experience living up to giddiness? It was not. It wasn't just the COVID, although the COVID was pretty bad. It was that I was lonely and I'd known I would be. What introvert wants to travel alone for like seven weeks? It was that it turns out the logistics of travel are deeply overwhelming to me. Turns out I'm quite an anxious person. Maybe some of you have noticed it was news to me. Turns out figuring out transit in an English speaking city other than my own regularly drove me crazy plus the logistics of figuring out which of over 3,000 shows playing at the Fringe Festival I wanted to go to, that alone was daunting. So much opportunity. And let me reiterate, none of this is a thing to share in sermon number one for the people who made it possible. That first night out of Edinburgh, after I changed buses, improbably in kind of the middle of nowhere at a roundabout where two small highways intersected, after I had dragged my absurdly huge suitcase up a flight of stairs and checked into a slightly dingy room, the floors of which would give a back bay mission trip ideas for a new project. (laughs) My feelings were not any less mixed. But the next morning I again had no choice. I set out through the village to the beginning of the way In the selfie I took under the first sign, an arrow pointing off a sidewalk down along the side of a stone building, my eyes look faintly glassy. Recently, there's been a little spike in news pieces about whether or not we really have free will. A neurologist at Stanford named Robert Sapolsky wrote a book about it, and because of where I get my news, I feel like everybody's talking about it. All our choices are predetermined, he says by privilege, by biology, he's also a biologist, by our entire personal and evolutionary history right up until this moment. My preference for pastoral landscapes, my desire to see weird theater, that was formed by everything that came before. My tendency toward anxiety, chemistry from when I was in utero, My dogged belief that we do indeed have free will, that's a product of the theology I was taught and our human desire to believe we're in charge. This sermon, this sentence fragment, your being here in person today, your staying home and sorry being on Zoom instead, your move to Virginia, to Arkansas, back to Chicago, none of it a thing that any of us really chose. That's the claim. The claim has major implications. Without free will, nobody can be held responsible for their behavior. That's one fear. No one can be praised or blamed for what they do or have done. We can have, Sapolsky argues, real compassion for one another as products of our environments and histories. We can be free of suspicions of unfairness. No one earns what they have, no one deserves anything, no one comes by anything unfairly, they simply have it or they don't. No need to hate anyone else, it's like hating the weather. People who don't believe in free will, Sapolsky says, are less punitive and more forgiving. Sapolsky stopped believing in free will at the age of 13, for which I can neither blame nor praise him. Deuteronomy, and actually all of scripture and our tradition, makes a different claim. Our choices matter, they matter a lot, and the time to choose is always right now. Our passage from Deuteronomy comes at the end of that book and it refers back to itself, back to Deuteronomy I mean. All the laws and ways of being community with each other and with God when it has God say, surely this isn't too hard for you. It's not too far away. I mean, this is like 30 chapters of law, not too hard. All I'm saying, God says, is that I've put before you today, right now, a choice, a real choice between life and prosperity or death and adversity, how hard is that? And to be fair, when you put it that way, when God puts it that way, it's very, very clear to me not only what the answer should be, but what the answer is. It's very clear not just what I should do, but what I will do. No mixed feelings, no waffling, no hesitating. The first day on St. Cuthbert's Way, I had to stop about every 20 feet. Almost immediately, once I got on the path, I headed uphill. It was, I thought, a good thing that I only had six miles to go that day. I was glad there was no one nearby to hear my labored breathing or to see up close how much I was already sweating. It's common in scripture to visualize a life of faith as a journey, a path. Early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts were called people of the way, as in the way, the truth, and the life. In the Hebrew Bible, people are called again and again to walk in God's ways, to follow the right path. In Hebrew, one of the primary words for sin means to walk the wrong path or go in the wrong direction. The word for repentance in Hebrew is connected to turning around, turning back to God, getting back on track. And thanks to this Deuteronomy passage, I get a picture of that track feathered with branches. Forks in the road where moment by moment, day by day, one chooses which way to go. In this Deuteronomy passage, it sounds like the choice is clear again and again. Life and prosperity, death and adversity. It's so clear, it's almost like there's no choice at all. I'd only gone about a half mile that first day before I stopped to sit down. There was this elaborate bench that at first I couldn't tell if it was real or not, but it was decorated with a carved hiker's backpack and a pair of hiker's boots as though someone had gone off into the prickly gorse barefoot. I sat down, and a couple who'd started far below me caught up. German, they asked in their accents which way to go. And I, after weeks of dithering, weeks of wondering what show I should go to and what bus I should take and poring over the tiny maps my touring company had sent me, and having just that moment looked again at the map, I was so pleased that I knew the answer. Unfortunately, it's up, I said. Up, up, up which I guess I said for like whimsy and also maybe I thought they needed it across like a language barrier. Off they went. A few minutes later, I headed off the same way, being stabbed by what I did think were gorse bushes but didn't know until this morning for sure because I looked it up. I checked my hiking app as I went and I appeared to be going 180 degrees the wrong way. Maybe my GPS wasn't working or hadn't caught up yet and I I went a little farther until I could not deny it that I was on the wrong path and I had sent the Germans on the wrong path. Guiltily, I turned around and headed back and I passed right under a sign that very clearly pointed me again to St. Cuthbert's Way The rest of the day I thought on and off about the Germans, wondering how long it had taken them to get back on track, feeling embarrassed by my misplaced confidence and trying to make meaning of it. I got off the way twice more that day. Once I texted a family member from a footpath overlooking a hayfield that I was not at all where I was supposed to be except spiritually. Vince and I have often said to each other that a pilgrimage Well, I've said it to some of you recently. A pilgrimage often promises some great spiritual meaning, growth, connection with God, self-discovery. And often it turns out that the learning that happens is about the same old garbage you've been lugging around all over the place your whole life. Uncertainty about which way to go, even when the signs are clear, anxiety about logistics, loneliness, insecurity, overconfidence, a desire to be in the know. You don't have to go to the Scottish borderlands, although if you can, I recommend it. You don't have to go all the way there to figure it out. You don't have to go anywhere, God says, because God is placing right in front of you. I mean, in front of me, in front of all of us, this very day, a choice. It's not a hard choice. It's not a far away choice. It's not some mystical, heavenly choice that we need a guru to go get and articulate for us. It's not something we need anyone to explain or go anywhere to hear articulated. It's, it is, God says, in our mouth and our heart for us to observe. We know the way. We know the obstacles. We know our choice. We know the answer. No mixed feelings. No waffling. No hesitating. It's simple, right? Everything that's happened up to right now, all we've seen and heard, all we know about God all the ways we've seen others take, all the signs, our own experiences. It's so plain, it's like there's no choice at all. Here's the thing though, or a thing. This Deuteronomy is dangerous because it is so easily and often perverted to mean, just obey. It's obvious and it's obvious because some pastor or authority will tell you what it means. It's dangerous because it's been used to promote the lie that is the prosperity gospel. If you obey, God will give you riches and a good life. Look, it says so right in Deuteronomy. And by the way, if you're suffering or experiencing poverty or any kind of hardship, well, seems like you might have taken a wrong turn somewhere in the past. Here's another thing. Progressives like me love nuance. Love the in-between love to point out how dangerous a text is, love the liminal, ah, the liminal. Thank God. Now more than ever, when we're confronted daily with false choices, a claim that there should be no middle ground, no middle way. But here's another thing. Every day of the world, every moment of time there is before us a fork every moment when we stand between where we've been and where we're going. And God calls us again and again toward life. If we could hear, if we recognized God's voice at every moment of our lives, if we could see down the path far enough toward what pretty clearly looks like prosperity, we'd go that way. If we could always see and read the signs, we'd go that way, if we could read the guideposts and always, always have reliable guides, it would be easy. Instead, we stand at all these forks, all these possibilities, all these choices, and we have only what we have arrived at that moment and place with, our same old stuff, our same old circumstances. But the choices we make at that fork matter. And the claim, one of the claims that the Deuteronomy makes is that we're not bound by what's come before, that we are free to choose. I think part of the life that we live together, the life of faith and community and relationship and discipleship, is about learning to hear God, learning to recognize the signs and the guideposts, and frankly, to know ourselves better. Because another thing that this passage says is that we can trust ourselves. It's not far away. It's not an edict that comes down to us from someone we have yet to find. We can trust ourselves. And even when we get turned around, we can lean on God. There is a way.